listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Today's scripture lesson comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8, verses 1 through 21. In those days, when there was again a great crowd without anything to eat, he called his disciples and said to them, I have compassion for the crowd, because they have been with me now for three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way, and some of them have come from a great distance. His disciples replied, How can one feed these people with bread here in the desert? He asked them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven. Then he ordered the crowd to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves, and after giving thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute, and they distributed them to the crowd. They also had a few small fish, and after blessing them, he ordered that these two should be distributed. They ate and were filled and they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. Now there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away, and he immediately got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, asking him for a sign from heaven to test him. He sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly I tell you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, and getting into the boat again, he went across to the other side. Now the disciples had forgotten to bring any bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod. They said to one another, It is because we have no bread. And becoming aware of it, Jesus said to them, Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes and fail to see? Do you have ears and fail to hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many baskets full of broken pieces did you collect? They said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000? How many baskets full of broken pieces did you collect? And they said to him, seven. Then he said to them, Do you not yet understand the word of God for the people of God? Thanks be to God. And thanks, Jim, for that reading. So um, if you were here two Sundays ago, um, you might be experiencing a slight case of deja vu. Anybody with me on this? It's like we just heard this story. Um, uh, Two weeks ago, we talked about the feeding of the one of Jesus' most famous miracles is a story where he feeds 5,000 people in the desert with just five loaves of bread and some fish. Then about a chapter and a half later, we get today's story where Jesus feeds 4,000 people in the desert with just seven loaves of bread and some fish. It reminds me of a, a joke my dad used to tell me when I was a kid. Uh, Pete and repeat went fishing. Pete fell in. Who was left? Pete and repeat went fishing. Pete fell in. Who was left? We, we can do this for, this goes for quite some time if we want. Um, why the repeat? Why the repetition? Why does Mark give us two stories about 
Jesus miraculously feeding multitudes of people that are so similar right next to each other. We talked about this a little bit last week. Uh, Last week, we looked at the story of the Syrophoenician woman. Uh, We talked about how that story marked a turning point in Jesus' ministry. Up until now, most of Jesus' miracles have been among his own people, among his fellow Jews. Um, He healed a man with a withered hand in a synagogue. Uh, He healed a Jewish woman who had a bleeding condition. He fed uh, 5,000 people in the desert who were all Jewish. But after Jesus encounters a Syrophoenician woman, after witnessing the remarkable faith of this Gentile, this outsider, Jesus' ministry expands, and he does a series of miracles among Gentiles, one of which is the feeding of the 4,000. Uh, At the end of our reading, Jesus rattles off all these numbers, probably the most confusing part of the passage, but it's actually super easy to decode and understand what's going on here if you know what to look for. Um, Let's read that latter part of the passage again. It'll be on the screens. Uh, Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 17. Jesus said to them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you collect? They said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you collect? And they said to him, seven. Then he said to them, do you not yet understand? And as modern readers, this is where we all scratch our heads and go, "Uh, no, Jesus, I have no idea what you're talking about. Please help me. In a lot of ancient cultures, especially in ancient Jewish culture, numbers tended to carry symbolic meaning. Um, Every number had some symbol, some deeper meaning associated with it that everyone would have picked up on, except the disciples, apparently. We'll get to that in a second, though. Um, But whenever you find numbers in the Bible, um, they're almost always symbolic. Biblical numbers are rarely meant to be taken literally. There's usually some bigger point, some bigger idea that they are referencing. So let's look at these stories by the numbers. With the feeding of the 5,000 in Mark chapter 6, we got 5,000 people who are fed with five loaves of bread with 12 baskets left over. Five, five, and 12. Five is the number of the Torah, the Jewish law, the books of Moses, the first five books in the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. If you are a first century Jew and you see the number five over and over again, you're going to be thinking Torah. Does that make sense? Maybe? (laughs) Good, okay, good. We read this story about a huge crowd, 5,000 people. This is a huge crowd of Torah-observant Jews. Jesus feeds them in the desert, which is another reference to Torah, another reference to the story of Moses. You maybe heard that one where Moses leads the Israelites into the desert and God sends bread from heaven, manna from heaven. So we are just like hitting the Torah over and over again here. And Jesus feeds this crowd fittingly with five loaves of bread. Torah, Torah, Torah. After the meal, the disciples gather how many baskets of food? Twelve. What does the number 12 symbolize in the Bible? Okay, that was too many. Someone really loud. (laughs) Tribes of Israel. You nailed it. Yes, I thought someone was going to say the disciples, which would also work. But yeah, the 12 tribes of Israel, God's people. Ancient Israel was a collection of 12 tribes. 
These were the ancestors of Jesus' people. So this is another reference to the beginning of the story, where it all started. You've got this huge crowd of Israelites in the desert, bread from heaven, five loaves, 5,000, 12 baskets. It's almost like Jesus is hitting reset on the story of Israel. Mark gives us all these symbols. It's like neon lights saying, these are the children of Israel. This is the family of God that Jesus has come for. Only that family is not complete. That's where the other story comes in. Mark chapter 8, we get another feeding story, very similar. Uh, Jesus goes back in the desert, this time Gentile territory, where he's met by 4,000 people who he feeds with seven loaves of bread, collecting seven baskets of leftovers. Four, seven, and seven. What do we say the number five stands for? Torah. Yep. And the number 12? The tribes of Israel. Two super, like, on-the-nose ancient Jewish references. What do you think the number four stands for, if you were to guess? Hmm? I'll give you a hint. Think of a map. What do we have four of on a map? Directions, yeah, the four cardinal directions, north, south, east, west, also the four corners of the map. For, for first century Jews, four is the symbolic number for the nations, the Gentile nations, basically everyone else. For an ancient Israelite, every direction you went, north, south, east, west, you were surrounded by Gentiles, traditionally enemies, right? So the number four comes to symbolize the Gentile nations, all those people scattered across the four corners of the earth. But now Jesus is working among them. So he rounds up 4,000 Gentiles in the desert and feeds them with seven loaves of bread, collecting seven baskets of leftovers. What does the number seven generally symbolize in the Bible? Creation? Yeah. But even more than creation, completeness. Seven is the Jewish number for wholeness, and it starts with the creation story, when God creates the whole world and everything in it in just seven days. Again, these numbers are symbolic. We know it was a lot more days than that, but the point is wholeness, completion. Jesus is reconstituting Israel. He's hitting reset on the family of God, but that family is not complete until the Gentiles have a place at the table because Jesus came for everyone. Isn't that kind of cool? Okay. How many of you did I just totally lose with all those numbers? <laughs> the rest of you, though, it's cool. Who knew math could be so interesting? This might kind of sound like we're trying to decode something in the Bible, some kind of weird Bible code. I want to emphasize, though, this is not like a secret code. None of this would have been hidden. If you are a Jewish person living in the first century, this would have been crystal clear to anyone hearing these stories, except the disciples. Jesus' followers are kind of clueless to the fact that everyone should be included. Thank goodness we've grown out of that by now, right? To totally not a problem in the church anymore. Um, and Jesus' followers, their cluelessness is on full display throughout this story. I love this. Let's get that picture up here of Jesus and the disciples. Yeah, this is hilarious. The setup for the feeding of the 4,000 is pure comedy. 
Jesus has this huge crowd of people following him. They've been with him for three days in the desert. So he gets his disciples together, and he's like, let's feed these people. And the disciples are like, where are we going to find enough bread? That's funny. Like, that's really funny. This just happened, right? Jesus just was in a situation like this with the disciples where he fed thousands of people with hardly any bread. Now, I don't know, I don't know if the disciples were really this dense or if, if maybe there was like, a, like an inside joke going on. Like, like maybe it was like, yeah, Jesus, don't know how we're going to feed all these people with no bread. Like, that's, that's possible. Um, you know, Jesus, I could really go for some wine right now. All I've got, though, is this big jug of water. If only we could do something about it. Yeah, like, maybe, maybe that's what's going on here. But as much as I'd really like this to just be like pure comedy, the disciples really do seem to be this dense. And their, their denseness is hammered home in the second part of our reading. <clears throat> the Pharisees show up and they demand a sign. Uh, apparently, healing people, casting out demons, feeding thousands of people in the desert twice. That's not enough for the Pharisees. That doesn't quite do it for them. I think we've all known people like that. Like maybe you've had a, a boss or a spouse. <laughs> you know, it's like never quite good enough. Not my problem, though. Um, <laughs> I love you, Aaron. Um, but the Pharisees aren't impressed by this. So Jesus just gets in the boat and leaves. He pieces out. He takes the disciples, and they go. And that's where the cluelessness of the disciples really shines through. Uh, verse 13. Jesus left the Pharisees, and getting in the boat again, he went across to the other side. Now the disciples had forgotten to bring any bread. That's the setup, you guys. The punchline is coming. The disciples had forgotten to bring any bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. Jesus cautioned them, saying, Watch out. Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod. The disciples said to one another, It is because we have no bread. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. This is practically slaps. Like, Jim Carrey could pull this off. It would be amazing. Um, that's a dated reference, isn't it, Jim Carrey? Anyway, Jesus warns the disciples, Beware the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. And the disciples are like, it must be because we have no bread. This is where Jesus kind of loses it. He's at his breaking point. Uh, the picture on the front of the bulletins, I think, I think we're, we're about at this point. Um, Jesus kind of unleashes on them with all these questions. Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes and fail to see? Do you have ears and fail to hear? Do you not remember I'd like to propose that maybe Mark is asking these questions to us, the readers. A lot of times when we read the Bible, we just kind of read it, like, passively, like, like it's information, you know? Oh, another story about those silly disciples doing silly things. Aren't they silly? But when we come across something like this, a series of questions aimed at Jesus' followers, that should make us, all of us who follow Jesus, pause for just a second and make sure we're keeping up. Do I know what's happening here? 
Do I understand what Jesus is saying? Do I have ears to hear and eyes to see? Beware the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod. The Pharisees were the religious leaders back then. Uh, They ran the synagogues. Their focus was the children of Israel. The five books of Moses, the Torah, was really their jam to the exclusion of others. With the Pharisees, it's super black and white. You're either in or you're out. Clean, unclean. With us, against us. Insider, outsider. If you keep the law, you follow all the rules, you are good. But if you don't, then you don't belong. That's the yeast of the Pharisees. Jesus also warns about the yeast of King Herod. What do you remember about King Herod? We talked about him like two, three weeks ago. What do you remember about Herod? Anybody? Hmm? He killed John the Baptist. Yeah. He beheaded him at a party. Served his head on a platter. Herod is violent. Herod had a messed up family tree. Herod's got this weird kind of like half Jewish, half Greek thing going on. Um, He was Jewish, right? He's a religious insider. He's the king of God's people. But Herod's also Greek. Herod works for the empire. Herod was tight with the chief priests at the temple. He actually appointed most of them. Um, But he's also tight with Caesar. Herod is trying to have his cake and eat it too. He wants to keep a foot in the Jewish world, the religious world, but also be in league with the empire. He embraces the empire's tactics, killing his enemies, keeping order through violence, dominating others, very questionable morality. Herod embraces the power tactics of this world while trying to maintain faithfulness to God. That is the yeast of Herod. I submit to you, that the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod are both alive and well in the church today. We see the yeast of the Pharisees anytime Christians exclude, dehumanize, or bully other people. Anytime that Christians come together and tell a group of people, you don't belong. Um, we saw this a little over the week ago, uh, a little over a week ago, there's some news um, with the Babylon Bee. I don't know how many people in here are going to be familiar with the Babylon Bee. Uh, It's a Christian satire website, sort of like The Onion for evangelicals. Um, They publish fake news stories that are actually fake news. Um, They're supposed to be funny, satirical. I've shared stuff from the Babylon Bee before. Every once in a while, they'll post something really funny. But the Babylon Bee has taken a weird turn the past couple of years, embracing some really ugly culture war level stuff. And last week, uh, the Babylon Bee's Twitter page got shut down after they awarded their Man of the Year award to Rachel Levine. Man of the Year. Rachel Levine is a trans woman who serves as the Assistant Secretary of the Department of Health and Human Services. Levine is from uh, my home state of Pennsylvania, so I've been aware of her story for some time. Uh, She's the first openly transgender four-star admiral in our nation's history. She's also the first openly trans person to ever hold this high of an office in government. Pretty huge achievement. 
especially in light of the Trans Day of Visibility last week. I believe it was on Thursday. Did you know that trans people are 10 times more likely to attempt suicide than their cisgender counterparts? And the numbers are worse among kids. Um, they're also much more likely to be victims of violence. Trans children are far more likely to be disowned by their families and cut off by religious communities, often ending up homeless. This is a community that's about as marginalized as you can get. So how does this Christian website observe the Trans Day of Visibility? They award Man of the Year to one of the most visible trans women in our country. They mock her, they use male pronouns for her, they dead name her, they use the name she had before she transitioned. Because trans people are the new front of the culture war. They're the new enemies, the new threat. Gotta make sure they know they don't belong. That's the yeast of the Pharisees. Jesus came for everyone can't stress that enough. If you want to see the east of Herod, uh, look at any attempt by Christians to seize political power or buddy up with uh, dictators to enrich themselves. Uh, this next picture is Bishop Kirill of Moscow. Um, this is the patriarch of the Russian Orthodox Church, basically like the, the pope, essentially, of Russian Orthodoxy, which is a very historic, um, very old branch of the church. And this is Bishop Kirill, this next picture, with his friend Vladimir Putin. Bishop Kirill has endorsed Russia's invasion of Ukraine. He's declared it a holy war. And he calls Vladimir Putin a man of God. That's the yeast of Herod, you guys. Anytime we see Christians cozying up with those in power, from Christian nationalists in our own country to stuff like this, we are playing with fire, and it is so dangerous. I have heard generations of Christians complain about how the world is going to hell, right? It's kind of a classic refrain. Things are changing. Things are different. We've lost the plot because of immorality, secularism, the media, you name it. But here's the thing. When I read the words of Jesus, I don't see him bemoaning that there's no prayer in schools. I don't see Jesus attacking Roman media outlets or anything like that. Jesus doesn't beat up on sexual minorities or talk about restoring traditional family values. Heck, he tells people to practically turn from their parents and follow him. Jesus doesn't promise to make Jerusalem great again. He doesn't instruct his followers to arm themselves for a coming apocalypse or to hoard up so that they're ready. Jesus warns us about two things the yeast of the Pharisees, and the yeast of Herod. Self-righteous religious people who exclude others and buddy up with those in power. That's what we need to avoid if we want to be faithful to Jesus. Do you still not understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes and fail to see? Do you have ears and fail to hear? Why are you so worried about bread? Jesus' warning is important, but he doesn't stop there. He actually gives us an alternative to the yeast of the Pharisees and Herod, and it's the bread at this table. 
The bread Jesus offers us never runs out. It doesn't grasp for power. There's always enough to go around, and everyone is welcome at this table. You want to steer clear of the yeast of the Pharisees and Herod? Gorge yourself on the bread of Christ. Come to this table where everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and where everyone is welcomed as an equal. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at BrockportFB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.